0: Uh, uh good uh and and uh, uh once again the uh, listeners uh one of the reasons why i am um, so excited about today's podcast episode is we are continuing our series on federal government cabinet departments and we are getting closer and closer okay to the you know, the last ones, if you will. Right. This
1: is this this is penultimate, I think. Yeah, yeah,
0: this is the next. This this is the next to last. uh, And then we get
1: our we get my favorite. uh, But then
0: Homeland Security Homeland Security.
1: And then we do we are going to do for listeners a little preview. We are going to do the the departments that never were. Yes. Departments that have been proposed over the years and what they've been proposed to do. And and some um, of the some of them,
0: you know, are pretty, you know, you would be like, oh, yeah, we should have such a department. And some of them, you're just like, why okay, in the
1: heck would we need a department for that?
0: OK, why, why were there so many people on the crazy town bus? <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> OK, OK. <laughs> But, but today's, today's episode is about Veterans Affairs.
1: Yeah, and the thing about Veterans Affairs, can I just say, so Veterans Affairs is, I know listeners are going to think, wait, Veterans Affairs is, is more recent than the Department of Education? Yes, Veterans Affairs as a department yes. is 1989, 1989 right yes. at the end of the Reagan administration. Yes. But veterans as a concept of we should be looking out for veterans is much older, right?
2: Yes.
0: And and, and again of of all the federal government cabinet departments today, this one probably has had the, the longest gestation period, okay? Uh because um, in doing uh, our research for the podcast episode, and this just fascinated, and please forgive me, Nia, for you know, uh, speaking for you. No, it, 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 what really fascinated Nia and I was um, uh, the United States government making a commitment to take care of veterans can be traced back to colonial times, where the Continental Congress actually passed legislation to take care of Revolutionary War vets.
1: Yeah, and that makes perfect sense, except and it didn't even occur to me that it had happened.
0: Yeah, I, I but just... But when you
1: said it, I was like, oh, well, yeah, but...
0: I just thought about it in terms I of... I thought mo- they were
1: just cut loose. Like I,
0: I, I thought about it in terms of modern wars. Right. Because with modern wars, as the medical science technology improved and battlefield wounds no longer met almost an immediate death, we would have so many vets returning from you know, various wars and we would need to take care of them.
1: And listeners, when Augie says modern, what he means is civil war, um, yeah, yeah. which I know is not modern to most of y'all. <laughs> but, But part of why we, at least part of why I thought it started around the Civil War time was because of the um the confederate veterans homes in in and around richmond and this area yeah and all over the south i just kind of assumed it started then but it makes m- much more sense that it would have been with our first war yeah right we owe something to the people who gave their freed lots. us from british rule yes and, and gave their lives or gave their bodies in a way that back in the day, if you were a farmer and you didn't have limbs, that would have been a lot harder to farm, right? It would have been a lot harder to do those things.
2: Yeah, you
0: basically could not go ahead and engage in the dominant economic activity in the country at the time. So after the Revolutionary War in 1811, the federal government authorized the first domicile medical facilities for veterans um and we basically are the, the federal government in the united states ever since 1811 has made that kind of commitment um and uh, uh you also saw um this was the first time in the early 1800s where the federal government created assistance programs to um uh, extend benefits to war veterans for their widow's independence.
1: Oh so if a man goes off and he dies fighting a war for the United States, his wife is and their is children su- yeah. is supported in some yes. way okay yeah
0: okay uh, but the the big change in Nia, you already referenced this was following the Civil War um, and it wasn't necessarily the federal government many states created veterans' homes, okay? So, um in, in, in part, this is understandable because both the Union and Confederate war efforts, okay, were state-driven, right? right. So when Lincoln was putting together the Union, if you will, uh, 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 war mobilization, He called upon states to provide a certain number based on their population, okay, to, if you will, send troops that would be part of the Union war effort. Likewise, that's that's how the Confederacy did it, right? Right. So each of the seceding states had an obligation in terms of the number of typically young men, okay, who were- To provide to the effort. to, to, To the effort. So after the war ended, okay, um, many states kind of sort of jumped in and said, okay, we recruited, and and then that was a war that was almost exclusively uh, men were troops, okay, but, you know, we recruited these men, now we need to take care of them, okay. Um,
1: it should be noted just as a, for the record, though, That did not include Black folks. That is true. Black men who served were not included in the benefits.
2: Yes. Yep.
1: Um, Communities may or may not have created facilities for folks, for Black folks, Black men, but they were not statewide facilities.
0: That's right. Okay. Um, But then with every successive war that the United States fought, okay, so you have uh, the Civil War, um, then you had the so-called Indian Wars, okay, then you had the Spanish-American War, you had the Mexican border period, um, which, as we've discussed when we looked at the Department of War, okay, the Mexican border wars period actually extended, okay, for 50-60 years, right. from, like, from like the 1830s well into the 1880s and 90s, Right. But with each of those wars, as veterans were discharged, okay, um, the precedent had already been set, okay? Where are the facility, you know, we need facilities to take care of these veterans. Um, 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 But then the next big change comes with World War I. um, Because interestingly enough, Unlike the previous wars, where either Congress or the states decided after the war, hey, we need X, when the United States entered World War I, Congress actually created a new system of veterans benefits. Oh, okay. And that was actually one of the stumbling blocks on the Congress responding positively to President Woodrow Wilson's, you know, request that Congress declare war, because members of Congress were just like, okay, but what are we going to do for all of our veterans that we're going to be sending to Europe? Okay.
1: So Congress is thinking ahead. Unusual for Congress.
2: <laughs> Very much so.
1: <laughs> I mean, Congress <laughs> tends to be reactionary.
2: Yes. Yes they yes. just
1: tend to be reactionary to things i'm not trying to be ugly no, um, but, uh, <laughs> it, it did come out a little bit that way but but i mean they do tend to respond post as opposed to pre yes um now the thing about the, the world war 1 is that we also see a lot more mental health issues from World War 1 than we do from previous wars. Yes. World War 1 was mentally difficult on fight on on the people who fought it. Trench warfare is a horrible kind of warfare. It's I mean
0: you're spending weeks if not months fighting over okay less than a quarter mile or a couple hundred yards of
1: terrain. Well, and the bombs, the, and it, the, like all of the armaments got better.
2: Yeah, right? they, and they, they,
1: and they, so they were targeting better and they were, mm-hmm. so lots of people were seeing the person next to them get blown up. And then you had not an easy thing for you to process as a person.
0: And then you had the uh, uh, the creation and use of chemical weapons during World War One, right? Um, Which
1: is just you breathing, and then all of a sudden, you being very ill from breathing, right? Which is
0: and if you survived it, if you survived it, your conditions would last months, if not years, afterwards, or you may never recover.
1: Right. So, and they, there used to be a term, and it is no longer used, called shell shock.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: That a lot of veterans from World War I experienced. Um, and so it's Today, interesting to me that as they, as they built a stronger system, they built it just in time for a war that was modern warfare in a way that we had not had, and that was mentally incredibly taxing.
0: Yeah, and 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 this is again one of the themes th- that you see with modern warfare. We get better at killing, but those who survive, okay, are damaged in ways that previously um, we had left untreated. Right. right? And you right, know, the, we see the, that in Vietnam. Yeah, and you know, so this notion of shell shock today, we refer to it as. PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Uh, But back then, um, uh, it was a rather controversial diagnosis because those in the medical profession were saying, okay, this particular soldier can't go back to the front lines. And you had military officers who were like, but I need these people back at the front lines. Right. And they were,
1: they, well, and there was suspicion people were faking it. And, and, you
0: know, are they all that kind of stuff? And, right.
1: And that just wasn't the case. It was, uh, I mean, obviously, there are a few people who fake whatever. Yeah. yeah, In a war, right? Like uh, MASH used to have Klinger. Remember Klinger pretending to be insane?
2: Yeah. Because, you know, wearing dresses, which at the
1: time was considered insane, although. you know, now would not raise an eyebrow but but it, it you know he pretended to be those things because he didn't want to be there he wanted to go home there are people who do that but it is not a common no a okay. common thing yeah
0: so what you see Nia after World War One um was the first if you will recognized federal agency um uh in nineteen twenty one uh Congress combined the wide array of veterans programs, and they created the Veterans Bureau. Um, and, uh, and I actually remember the Veterans uh, uh, Bureau in part because uh, my great grandfather talked about how older members of our family who fought in World War I received Veterans Bureau benefits. Ah, right? uh-huh. Okay. Uh, but what was really noteworthy about uh, the Veterans Bureau was they started creating veterans hospitals, okay, across the United States. So, whereas before it was more of a state government commitment, okay, post World War I, you saw more of a federal government commitment to create hospitals to deal with, okay, and treat our vets. But, Nia, even back then, okay, um, these hospitals, okay, had a poor reputation.
1: Yeah, we're, we're going to get to the controversies around the hospitals. Yes. Because that just, that carries through from 1921 to yesterday. I mean, yes,
0: it's, it's, it, it, it's, and it is a pretty constant theme. Later on, I mean, so this is all happening within a decade. Um, in 1930, um, uh, Hoover signed an executive order. And for our long-term listeners, there are so many themes throughout our episodes, right? One of which is presidents who can't convince Congress to do something today. Okay. <laughs> I an executive order. <laughs> okay. And this was executive order. Five. Give me
1: my pen. Where's my pen? <laughs> my pen
0: right. Okay. <laughs>
1: Somebody bring me 74 pens. I need to sign an executive order, Order, right?
0: This was executive (laughs) order 5398 and the Veterans Bureau um, was now elevated as an agency that reported directly to the White House and the name changed. Um, And this is where we get the Veterans Administration, the VA. And that's right. what
1: I've always known it as, yes, the that's VA. Right. That's right. Um, that's what, And that is how it was referred to by members of my family who served in the military and went to the VA for treatments or medical, whatever. They'd say, i got to go over to the VA. And in, in most towns, you would have a vet, well, not most towns, big towns, big yeah. cities. Yes. You would have a veterans hospital. And it, that's how people referred to it. Yeah. They did. Uh, they all had names. They were named after various a lot of generals. times important people, right? But like, oh, yeah,
0: various generals, It's cetera. Walter et cetera. Reed and, Idiot. you know, yeah, right. all those
1: kinds of, or um, McGuire here in Richmond. Yes. Right? Other people, and people locally, colloquially said, I'm going down to the VA. And everybody knew what they meant. Yes.
0: Okay. Um, and, and, and again, uh, listeners, um, a little bit of public disclosure. Both me and I come from families with a long history of, of, of men and women serving our, uh, uh, in our country's military. Um, um, in fact, as some of the older members of my family have um, ruefully remarked, um, my generation is probably the first that has not. Okay. Yeah, and, yeah.
1: and uh, my brother, served yeah. in the air force so mm. i mean yeah. our my generation's covered by my brother thanks um, <laughs> but uh it'll be his it'll be the next generation in our family um but yeah it's a, it's a common thing for especially for um certain socioeconomic classes yeah uh my folks both poor um i think your family came from yes Poor yeah. folks. Yeah. And poor folks tend to serve in the military because it gets you out of that poverty level often. Right. And you get to see the world. You get to, in some cases, you get to go to other countries or whatever. But so the, and, there's reasons to join the military that have a lot to do with. Um, and what you're about to talk about, which is the biggest reason why a lot of people modernly join the military, right? Is yes, the... Is,
0: is the uh, GI Bill. So after World War II, um, uh, Congress uh, passed um, uh, the GI Bill, um, and that makes reference to the fact that many who served in the military were referred to as GIs. Okay. Uh, and Nia's looking up what GI. I
1: was going to say, what does GI stand for? <laughs> Isn't that terrible?
2: <laughs> and what what does GI?
1: Uh, huh? It doesn't. Wikipedia has failed me. Oh, oh no. I know. That's terrible. Okay, you keep going. We'll come back to it.
0: Okay. So the GI Bill was signed in uh, June of 1944, as World War II was coming to a close. Um, And it had a wide array of uh, veterans benefits. Um, And uh, so for the GI Bill, you had educational benefits. So if you were, go ahead, Nia.
1: Galvanized iron. (laughs) Yes. Wait, Oh, mil- primary military, primary mar- material used to make military items. Yes. It, it, it also took on different meanings, government issue, general issue, and ground infantry. Yes. But okay. I like that it started with galvanized
2: iron. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: That's cool. Um, and I always refer to it as the, um, um, uh, the you know, government issue. Um, Because many, 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 many members of the military say that when, uh, when the United States or any nations about ready to commence a war, they count their troops, like they count, okay, the equipment, okay, the uniforms, Uh. okay, and they become government issue, just like... (laughs) The boots, the the helmets, the the boots, the helmets, okay, the, 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 the weapons, okay, Uh, the, you know, ready to eat meals,
2: okay. MREs, (laughs) meals ready to eat. Yeah, okay, et cetera, Um, et cetera, right?
1: Yeah, you haven't lived until you've had to live off of MREs (laughs) for a few days.
0: But what, but what was really noteworthy about the GI Bill was an entire generation of Americans, you know, the so-called greatest generation, okay? Um, uh, We see this huge uptick in college enrollment, okay, because of the GI bill, right? Home
1: purchasing and college enrollment.
0: Yes, and if you were struggling to find a job, they gave you, there was a set-aside unemployment benefits program for returning
2: vets,
1: and again, okay. we must recognize for white returning vets.
2: But yes. Okay.
1: The black returning vets were not eligible for the GI Bill for whatever reason. It's not written in the law that way. But but they the were am- denied the administ- regularly in the same way as redlining denied folks.
0: Yeah, okay. So you had administrators, okay, who thought that if you're a returning vet and you're an African American and you couldn't find a job, okay, then it had to be because you were lazy right okay um, and you know what do you mean you want to to purchase a home okay. well and
1: why on earth would you want to go to college college because right because there at the time the racism it, assumed it, and, that black folks would not want to go to college
0: and you know there were reports okay um, that uh, there was uh, not only racial but economic bias okay in the first years of administering the GI program, you know, you know, you're poor white, you can't be smart enough to go to college.
1: Oh, okay. I didn't realize that was also a problem with it. So, so it was not with, I mean, it's a great thing. And it did this, it, it basically was huge. Yes. In the sense that you have all these men coming back from war and it changes the American existence, right? People now are that—that's when you get the advent of suburbs, and you get the advent of sort of the
0: American the, the American dream, dream. Yes. right? Okay,
1: you will go to college, college. you will own a house, you yes. will have two point four children, you will have one point four cats, you will right like all these things that you'll go. Have
0: a, you'll have a car in your driveway and a white picket fence, fence and, and you know etc etc right right and this. And the logic was, this is what the country owed to what we now call the greatest generation, right? Right. The United States saved the world, okay, from Nazism, fascism, Japanese imperialism, right? So post-World War II, we get the Korean War in um, uh, uh, the late 40s, the, the first couple years of the 1950s. And then we get the Vietnam War in the uh, mid to late 1960s through the early part of the 1970s. But one of the most significant changes with those two wars was how much medical science, okay, improved, if you will, um, um, the conversion of battlefield deaths to injuries,
1: Oh, right, because techniques had gotten better for saving people's lives. I mean, so, at that, by the so, late 60s, you have, you have things as big as transplants, okay. like heart transplants and lung transplants. But like,
0: but, but, Nia, but
1: on even, the battlefield, yeah. you have...
0: Nia, even before that, and, and I, I like where you're going, because a few moments ago, you mentioned, okay, a TV show, uh, MASH. Okay, Mobile Army Surgical Hospitals. Right. Right. And you see those used with the Korean War. So you had these mobile hospitals usually set up within miles of the battlefield front. So whereas a lot of soldiers who would die because of their wounds, if they could get to the hospital, okay, their rate of of living, okay. went up dramatically
1: right their survival rate goes Mm -hmm. up okay in part because of proximity but in part too because of of advances in medicine the 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 ability to to try off things and treat infections and and, and do all that kind of thing and amputate in ways that people survived because we've always had amputations egyptians had amputations yeah but but it's only in the in the modern era that people survive amputations as well as they do. Like, yes. it's, you know, if you survived one before that, it's because you were lucky, but they start to be a regularly survivable thing.
0: So you now have vets who we might have lost to death now returning home. Okay. And many of them returned home physically intact but mentally and emotionally not, or if they did return home, they were physically damaged. So what do you do with this increased percentage Nia of all these returning vets?
1: We need a bigger boat.
0: We need a bigger boat. And what you see in the classic, if you will, American, you know, group politics. Okay. You know, pluralism, you know, lobbying, It took a couple decades, but Advocates for Vets finally convinced the United States Congress and the Reagan administration to create, okay, the Department of Veterans Affairs. And we get that. um, it, It commenced operation in 1989, okay? Now, the VA organizationally is split into three large units. So you have VA Health Administration. And this goes as far back as post-Civil War, Nia, what you described. You know, the post-Civil War veterans' homes. Yep. And that's and that's what they were called, veterans homes.
1: That is what they were called.
0: To the post-World War I hospitals. And it is the largest of the three units. The second Benefits administration, this has the longest history because remember listeners, when we started this podcast episode, okay, Congress created benefits programs for even, you know, dependents and spouses of those lost in a war.
1: In the, in the revolution.
0: Yeah. In the revolution. It goes all the way back. back. Like, yeah. Yeah. But then the third, and again, this is one of those things, okay, that I came across as I was doing my research, and I was just like, of course that makes sense, but I didn't know it. The Department of Veterans Affairs, okay, and I'm just going to use the shorthand for the rest of this episode, the VA, actually runs our national cemeteries.
1: Yeah, when I read that in your notes, I was surprised. I have to say it's because I was assuming interior. For some reason, I was insu- assuming interior.
0: I thought the Department of Defense.
1: Oh, it's funny how we're okay. <laughs> okay. I was thinking of it but, in terms of park grassland sort of yes. because frankly, cemeteries are grassland with persons buried beneath mm-hmm. and stones, right? That's right. Yeah. And so I kind of assumed interior, but it makes sense for it to be under veterans because that's what national cemeteries hold. They hold veterans. You have to have served in order to be buried in a national, in national cemetery.
2: Cemetery, yes. Yeah.
1: Arlington is is the probably the best known. Known, yes. But we but, have several in the nation where if you have served, you can be buried there with honors, what they call with honors, right? Which is the the whole military guard comes out and the everything's done in very formal fashion. Um, yeah, and, but and, and, yeah, it didn't even occur to me. And I was like, well, yeah, okay. Now that I think about it, that makes sense that that would be sort of from the time you start your service to the time you pass, theoretically, The Veterans Affairs, you know, the VA would take care of you in some way.
0: Yeah. um, uh, Benefits and medical. uh, And then
1: when you pass. Your final resting resting place. place. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, uh, Movie reference listeners. um, uh, uh, I believe it was made in the 1980s. um, uh, Directed by Francis Ford Coppola. I think it has uh, James Earl Jones and uh, James Kahn. Gardens of Stone. Okay, uh you might want to give it a, a viewing because it actually <laughs> uh does talk about um, uh, some of the politics that goes into okay where a veteran um is you know able to call their final resting place um, but nevertheless um, last
1: full measure of devotion
0: that's right, but the creation of the Department of Veterans Affairs um. Nia, it, is, it, is the
1: word you're looking for fraught?
0: Yes. Has it been
1: um, fraught? <laughs>
0: um, you would be hard pressed, Nia, to find um, anybody who has studied um, this department that's, uh, that has very many good things to say about it. Almost all of the analysis is negative. There is a lot of criticism of the VA. Well, um, and the
1: thing is, there's a lot of criticism of the first two parts. There's not a lot of criticism of the cemetery part. No. They seem no, to get yeah. the cemetery part right. Yeah. But then but then, when you talk about the health, the, the treatment, right, healthcare. care? Yes. Boy, is that just yeah. a complicated set of problems
0: um, so, under so-
1: funding and...
0: So the V.A. categorizes NEA uh, veterans into eight priority groups, and then underneath they have subgroups that get less priority. And they categorize vets based on factors like um, you know, service-related disabilities, what your income is, what your assets are, etc. And that's somewhat controversial, because why are we basing treatment care on whether or not when you came back, you were able to find a good job with good health insurance, et cetera, et cetera? You know, shouldn't there be a baseline or a modicum of care that we will promise, you know, to all of our veterans,
2: right? Right
1: regardless but to, of their but socioeconomic do, status.
0: Yeah, but to do that would require a significant increase in congressional appropriations for the VA, okay?
1: Well, and what irritates me, I'm sorry, can we get into things that irritate Nia? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey. I, I've held back for half an hour, come on now. Um, I mean,
0: all of our podcast episodes, <laughs> okay, I think long-term listeners or, you know, can go ahead and say, okay, well, this is the point where, you know, Augie plays devil's advocate, or this is the part of the, this particular episode where Nia goes ahead and shares something that bothers her. Yes, <laughs> that, that is what I'm
1: going to do now, which is, I think that it is, I understand actuarial tables yes. from an intellectual point of view, but saying one person's injury in a war is worse than another person's injury in a war seems wrong to me. It seems wrong to me to decide that if you lose a limb in a, in a battle, that you're more injured or less injured than a person who struggles with PTSD after the battle. Like, all of those people need help. And they wait years and years and years to get help. Like yes. there are people who die on those lists because they're not being seen because we are not putting enough money into managing the health care of our veterans. We either need to uh and I'm gonna not curse here, we either need to poop or get off this pot. Like
0: Yeah, either we make uh, the, it's very
1: frustrating.
0: Either we make the commitment and follow through on the commitment. Or,
1: or we cut them loose.
0: Or we just go ahead and say, we're no longer making this commitment. Right. Okay? Thanks
1: for your service. Good luck. Bye.
0: Okay. But you know, to Nia's point, um, in and this cuts across presidential administrations, but we saw this particularly with the Bush 43 and Obama administrations. Nia, you just gave the example of veterans who were on wait lists to get treatment. And so much of it is based on the bureaucracy of the VA, okay? And there were delays, okay?
1: So you mentioned Bush and Obama. Is that the war on terror? Uh, Is that that what's causing that delay?
0: This is a huge issue, right? Again, because of improvements in medical science, okay? Um, Our survivor rate... Okay, um, far surpasses most nation states who participate in wars. I mean, we have got really effective. You know, we're we do a really good job, okay, in treating battlefield injuries, wounds, okay, etc.
1: Which is why when you see um reports from World War One, World War Two, Vietnam. The they the death reports come in the thousands. And when you see them in in Afghanistan and Iraq, they come in the dozens. Okay. They're significantly lower death reports. Or
0: it's, and but now but that
1: the, doesn't mean they're not significantly lower three, injury three,
0: reports. Three, that's right. Percentage-wise,
1: I think people are still getting injured at pretty similar rates.
0: And they're coming home. Okay. Um, and they need treatment and care. Right. So if we've made that obligation. Okay, we need to devote more money. Okay. And this is another criticism. The VA's budget basically has been pushed to the limit because of the, uh, the global war on terrorism. Right. Um, and this has been ongoing. Right. Um, the, the first um, uh, Government Accountability Office report that I saw highlight this was in 2004. That's two years into the global war on terrorism, right? Which officially did not end until which presidential administration, Nia? Biden. Yes.
1: Right. Okay. The the infamous withdrawal, withdrawal from, from Afghanistan, Afghanistan,
0: Afghanistan, right?
1: Which we will someday do an episode on. But Okay.
0: So, I mean, we're two years into a 20-year war, okay, and Congress's accounting and audit agency has already identified that the VA budget is not large enough to go ahead and deal with what it was already projecting to be, okay, a huge increase in the amount of care and treatment the current war was going to impose on the VA right okay um and and
1: and then there's the gap period yes right there's that weird period where you're serving in the active military okay so you're serving in the active military and in the active military you have military medical facilities that care for you correct But then when you no longer are active duty for whatever reason you either retire or you are Honorably discharged, right? You're.
0: Yeah. You know, you served your two or four year hitch, you get out.
1: Right. You have this break between then and when you get, because of that um, uh, lag. Right, That lag time that they talk about, there's this weird break where you don't have any kind of insurance, you don't have any kind of medical care, and then you get to go to the VA. That's part of what Augie and I are talking about when we're talking about being on waiting lists, is those guys coming out of the military say, okay, I'm going to gonna get on the, the list for my local hospital to see me for my fill-in-the-blank thing that I need, you know, that I need to be seen for. And they're like, yeah, our waiting list is three years long.
0: And I just have one example uh, in the notes. So when the global war on terrorism kind of sort of started in 2001, okay, uh, well, even before that, right? I mean, because the global war on terrorism really ramped up in 2002, right? So before the global war on terrorism started, the VA already had a backlog of disability claims of over 420,000, Nia. They made an effort to reduce the backlog in 2003 and got it down to roughly a quarter of a million. But then it jacked back up in 2005 to about 340,000 disability claims. So while the claim is being processed, you're a veteran and you're not receiving what?
1: Right. Care.
0: Care, right? A Brown University study that was done in uh, 2011 predicts that we won't see the peak of global war on terrorism, disability claims, for 30 to 40 years after combat operations. And again, the lag here is it's the veterans as they get older.
1: older right, because I didn't even... I did not even process that in your notes immediately until you were just saying it. If a man is serving a man or a woman, sorry, yes, because yes. now both genders serve. Sure, sir. Um, if, if folks are serving in the military and they, let's say they get out when they're 30, it's going to be when they're 60, 60. to 65 oh, that they start to have serious illnesses as you get older. Cause that's just how, getting older works right like starting yes. to be in your 60s 70s and 80s is when you start to have a failure of your body where you need more medical care than you do when you're 20 hence why your insurance rates are lower when you're 20 than they are when you're 60
0: so the chronic condition you may have come home with from a war right becomes extremely difficult to treat okay as your body begins to fail OK, and that would happen as Nia as you just explained. But if the chronic condition arose when you were in the military and this becomes a point of contention. When did the condition arise and what was the
1: cause? Yeah, that's another thing that irritates me.
2: OK, <laughs> it, it's
1: it, this idea of preexisting conditions yes. and they're going to fight about whether the smoke of the burning fires in Afghanistan caused you to have lung issues One, or not yeah, like disease yeah we or, know that that was disgusting and terrible for people and we know it made them sick why are we fighting this why are we why are we not just treating these people as much as we are able so whether
0: I'm, so so whether it or not, irritates
1: that irritates me because that's also the 9-11 argument for firefighters for years was well they went down there voluntarily i mean but did they the nation or, kind of or, expected
0: or some of them were smokers
1: Right, they had family histories, blah blah blah. Oh, for crying out loud! Just pay for people's medical care, okay? And if medical care is too expensive, address that, Congress. I'm looking at you.
2: Yeah,
0: because Congress, and and, it, it, but what's even more frustrating to me is nobody can agree on how to fix the problems.
1: Well,
0: can we talk? I read over a two dozen reports, Nia, okay? And none of them can
1: agree. <laughs> of course they can't. I'm I'm just kind
0: of I'm just kind of sort of like on one hand I want to blame Congress, which I know is too easy, but in this particular situation, you've created a department, you've kind of sort of signaled to all of our vets, okay, we're going to make this commitment to you, and then you grossly underfund it, okay? Um uh you've allowed a system to be created bureaucratically okay that is cold insensitive and with all the delays typically means that we have hundreds of thousands of vets who don't get their treatment but then at the same time what should congress do to fix
1: it right right they have to throw more money at the problem
0: okay so we throw more money at it so where do we throw the money
1: and I'm assuming what we have to do is hire more medical personnel and have more medical facilities, but I don't I don't know. I don't know. Go- how you-
0: but the government doesn't pay them enough to attract the best talent who otherwise will work in the private sector instead of the public sector. Right. So you're gonna have to raise, okay. Uh the salaries that you go ahead and pay for the best and brightest, I mean, we know this historically. the government struggles with that, right, right, but you can't do this on the cheap folks
1: you can't, and the problem with waiting not only is it horrible for the veterans veterans oh, it's terrible, but but it will cost more because they will get sicker in the meantime, yes, than if you had gotten it earlier, right, like if you get to something earlier, if you get to a cancer in stage one. It will cost you significantly less to fix it than if you get to a cancer in stage three. Yeah, it, it it just does. I mean, it's just how.
0: And that was the logic of the Affordable Care Act, by giving Americans without health insurance a way to pay for medical care, they won't wait until it's a catastrophic health condition right. to and get then, treatment. Exactly. Because they will go you,
1: see a doctor rather than go to the ER.
0: That's right. Because those because, two
1: things cost very different very amounts of money.
0: And if you, if you go on an annual basis, you might catch something at its earliest stage instead of when it's at its end stage. And at that point, you're then throwing, excuse the football uh, metaphor, hell Marys in right. an attempt to go ahead and save somebody's life. And Hail Marys, okay, cost a lot. Right, right. And they oftentimes aren't successful. So if you're looking at the bottom line of, did we do something to go ahead and treat and save this vet? Okay, well, if you're throwing Hail Marys, the success ratio is terrible. okay if you ever watch a football game at you know at the end of regulation right. that's usually
1: an interception <laughs> right okay right i
0: mean the team that's thrown the hail mary usually has absolutely no realistic hope okay of the no play succeeding right they're just
1: trying they're just okay. trying the best they can and well it, and the and, other it, thing is is it, it, the torture that you put somebody through yes i mean that the, the What you're saying to veterans is, hang on, I'll get to you next year. And they're like, yeah, no, see, I have cancer. I may not have till next year. There's this really, I don't know. It it seems like a weird thing for us to ask people to serve and then not have a plan for how we're going to handle their medical issues afterwards. But that doesn't... And part of it is that we're just not throwing, we just really are literally not supporting it financially. uh, Here's what I propose. I propose, and I know this was probably one of the more than two dozen reports you read. um, I propose that we take some of the Department of Defense's budget and put it with the Department of Veterans Affairs.
0: That was actually recommended in a number of the reports. Uh, Because
1: if you're going to make war to make veterans then some of that cost should be covered under what you would normally have given. And we also, frankly, spend a significant amount of money on defense compared to our next, what, 12 neighbor, you know, countries. Well, I mean... It's more than the next 12 combined or something like that. It's some egregious amount, not egregious, but it's a large amount.
0: Well, if you compare the defense spending of the other member nations of nato to what the united states spends on defense we spend more than all of the other nations of nato
2: I, i'm yeah, just right. like
0: are you, are you right mean, and the just, chances
1: of us being invaded are very slim
0: yeah what from canada or mexico are you kidding me
1: right, right. or cuba uh, okay. that's it those are our those are our three closest unlikely let's say unlikely
0: okay uh, okay and for listeners who are like you know nia and and, and augie are anti-department of defense we're not but again no
1: i think we need a good solid defense i don't think we need over defense which i suspect is what we have right now and
0: and for (sighs) me the issue is if you make the commitment and nia and i are old enough to remember when uh, the United States Congress and the, you know, Reagan-Bush 41 administrations unveiled the Department of, uh, of, of uh, Veterans Affairs with great fanfare, okay? You know, we are making a commitment to our vets, okay? Then- well, and
1: hugely important to Bush Sr. because he had been
0: Yes. And had been that, shot like, and and had been shot down in, in World War Two. And and right? he
1: knew those men. He had led men in war. He, you know, yes. he had lost men in war.
0: Okay. But if you're going to make the commitment, you got to deliver on the commitment. Right. right. And
1: this is well, but this goes to a larger question in the in the in our country with um social safety network social safety nets and not funding them in ways that get the best results out of them.
0: Yeah, because if you're going to go ahead, for instance, you know, create um, a breakfast program for kids to do well in school, you can't use that budget as a political football. Right. Because once you get a generation of kids, okay, used to being able to go to school and get a good meal, yeah, so, you don't
1: you don't get to say we're not funding that this time until you give me X.
0: Okay. Like, no, no, that's
1: children's breakfast. What's wrong with you?
0: Okay, yes. I mean, and 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 of all the programs that we can go ahead and you know, you know, use as political leverage, okay. I I I I I I think as a society, it looks terrible. Okay. It is terrible. It's not look. It is terrible when we go ahead and say to a whole bunch of young men and women, we want you to potentially give your life for your country, but if you somehow survive, we're going to treat you like garbage when you return. Right. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, non-political. Okay. Any nation that does that. Okay. Shame on you. Okay. Right. And and, and I right. know that I know that's that that's not civil discourse per se, but <laughs> but shame. We're going to be us.
1: uncivil at this at, in okay. this moment. Exactly.
0: Okay. okay. Shame on us. Shame on us. Okay.
1: Well, and how many veterans could we treat for the cost of an a, an air carrier we don't need?
0: Or an, I, uh, or like, a new or a new weapon system that may not work. Right. Okay. And I'm all in favor okay, of, of funding a whole bunch of scientists, okay, who learn how to go ahead and make some really cool stuff, okay, fly faster, undetected, okay, deliver a, you know, megaton, okay, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine, okay, um, I have a whole, you and I both have a whole bunch of scientist friends, you know, at a university, okay, um, and, and that's great.
1: And we support that work, but by the same token, okay. For, you know, 10 of us, we could, okay. how many veterans could we treat?
0: I mean, you know, making somebody who's got lung disease, okay, because they were stationed somewhere in the Middle East, okay, where, you know, they were built, you know, they were burning whatever, excuse me, that's unconscionable, okay? Right. I'm, I'm sorry, right? You know, we have a vet that comes home and he gets addicted to painkillers, okay, we don't go ahead and quibble with their paperwork. We get them into an addiction program so that they can actually have some sort of semblance of a
1: life. Right.
2: Okay. Okay.
1: Right. Uh, Otherwise, uh, otherwise, our other choice is to hire that stuff out to mercenaries and make it somebody else's problem. Yes. And if we want to do that in this country, then we need a budget for doing that. Right, we need a budget to say, okay, we're going to pay folks like Blackwater, and it's up to them to give their their employees insurance and health care and all that other kind of stuff. That's right. But we have decided we don't want to do that because we don't want mercenary force, and so So we then we have to take the responsibility ourselves. That's 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 the only two choices here. Yeah. So, but what we do want to say. to wrap up this, this episode is thank you to our veterans. Yes. Thank you to the men and women who serve this country. Um, we appreciate that you are, um, you're fighting so that a lot of us don't have to. Yes. And that you're fighting for things like democracy or safety in the world. And we, we are grateful for that.
0: Yeah. Sincere gratitude. Um, um, because, um, the What you have experienced um allows you know folks like me and I uh once a week to go ahead um in our comfy environments to go ahead and discuss political issues um yep. it, and that's not lost on either one of us
1: right you you buy that you buy our freedom of speech with your blood and we yes. we are grateful for it sincerely. So thank you, Augie. And I guess next time we talk about DHS.
0: Department of Homeland Security, which All right. ne- so, which me and I have a little bit of background in. Uh, just a
1: smidge. <laughs> We're going to have to be careful that that episode doesn't go eight hours. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you, Neil.
1: Thank you, Augie. <laughs>